Revelation chapter 17, I'm going to read to you the whole chapter, verses 1 through 18. John says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly, but the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was, is not, and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated, and they are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, together with the beast." They are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast, and they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are called chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So it's kind of clear what this woman is, what the woman represents. The Bible, again, if the Bible uses symbolic language, it will tell you what it symbolizes. And here the woman on the beast is what? It's the city of Babylon. Now what we have to deal with tonight is, then how is a city committing sexual immorality with all the kings of the earth. How is a city doing that? Well, in order to understand that, we have to go back to the beginning from what the scripture shows us of the city of Babylon and its history. So go with me to Genesis uh, chapter. Actually, before we do that, let me just say one thing to you, and then we'll go to Genesis. Whenever the Bible talks about sexual immorality, a lot of times you'll see it in parallel toward a true devotion to God. Whenever the Bible talks about a true devotion to God, we're not going to uh, well, go to James chapter 4. Let me show you what I want you to see from there. Maybe this will lay a foundation for you. In James chapter 4, look at verses 4 and 5. In James chapter 4, verse 4, it says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you remember the famous Shema for the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it says you're to love Him and Him only. And, and then it goes on and says, for He's a jealous God. 
You see, God wants to be first and foremost in all things. And that's what he told the nation of Israel. They were to be a light to the nations. But he said, I want to be first. And I want you to take my word and I want you to put it on your heart. I want you to put it on your forehead. I want you to put it on your hand. In other words, what he was saying to them was, I want to be first in everything. I want to be first in what you think. I want to be first in what you do. And if we're faithful, the scriptures actually talk about that. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, the scripture says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, oh, sorry, whether you, what do you eat? Or drink, do it all to the glory of God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. And the scripture was very clear that God had laid out for the nation of Israel, I want to be first. What was the first commandment? Love the Lord your God, and you'll have no other gods before me. And whenever they would go off after other gods or other things, he described it as unfaithfulness idolatry, sexual immorality. That's why Paul himself, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, said, I pledged you as a chaste bride, as a chaste virgin to the Lord. Why are you cheating on him, in a sense? And so what I want you to see as we do a little study here about Babylon, God had told Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 1, be fruitful, be fruitful and multiply and what? And fill the earth. Make a lot of babies and scatter them all over the whole earth. Go with me to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. Look at verses 1 through 9. <clears throat> now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. Keep that in mind. It's important. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. In other words, we don't want to be scattered over the whole earth like God had said. We want to make a name for ourselves. And this started in this city, which you're going to see is called Babylon or Babel at this time. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this only is the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, a lot of us know this story, but there's something deeper here that I want to show you that you might have missed if you just jump into the story of Babylon in chapter 11. But before we get to that, let me just remind you of what we just read. There in this town, or this city we now known as, now known as Babylon, called Babel at that time, they said, we don't want to be scattered across the whole earth. We don't want to listen to God. We want to make a name for ourselves. And they began to build this big tower to the, the skies. And God said, if as one people with one language they're able to do this, then nothing will be impossible for them. Now, i got to be honest with you. For years, when I was a lot younger, and I used to hear about all this stuff about how they're going to try to clone a human being and all this kind of stuff, I always say, oh, no, only God can do that, you know but what did God say here? If as one people with one language, this is what they're able to do, nothing will be impossible for them. Folks, I don't know if you know this or not, but because of computers, we're going back to that day. And I think a lot of the stuff that we thought was impossible, 
won't be impossible. And for those of us who have lived long enough, most of the stuff we grew up watching on Star Trek, it's just happening now. But when we were kids, that was all unfathomable. You remember when they even made the Star Trek Next Generation and all they had to do was just talk to the computer and it answered any question? Remember that? How far-fetched that scene? Siri, right? And it answers any... Folks, in the days that we were younger and we saw this stuff, it seemed unbelievable. But now, because of computers, the world is coming back under one language. And the Bible actually said not only will they be into one language like that, they'll also be one last kingdom of the earth. All the nations will gather together. You're going to see that a little bit tonight. There's going to be ten kingdoms from around the globe that all agree to come together. And it's going to be centered here. Listen closely. Where the origins of idolatry and false religion began. There was sin from the garden. But organized false religion, organized idolatry began in Babylon. And most people don't know it because they start in chapter 11 and they miss something in chapter 10. Go with me to chapter 10 and look at verses 6 through 10. In Genesis chapter 10, look at verse 6. The sons of Ham are Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush are Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, and Sabtika. The sons of Ramah are Sheba and Dedan. And Cush fathered Nimrod, for he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was, you see it? Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Now, by the way, how many of you remember Bugs Bunny? Do you remember how he used to always call people a Nimrod? This is where it came from. Because if you were to read that just on the basis of what you're seeing here, it looks like he might be impressive. But actually, Nimrod's not a good guy. Because, and this is all, I'm not going to go into the detail of this. That's available if you go to my website and look at my Revelation teaching in 2009. I go into a lot more detail about it. I'm just going to touch on a few things here. But you can even do the research now and find out that this guy Nimrod was, according to history, tradition, and teachings of, of that, was married to a woman named Semiramis. And she was supposedly had given birth to a child, which was a male child who had been born miraculously. And his name was Tammuz. And actually, worship of Tammuz began here in Babylon. And not only did it begin there, it spread, and it even happened to corrupt the nation of Israel. Go with me real quick to Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 8. And I'm going to just touch on a few verses in, in chapter 8, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> It says, in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house, this is Ezekiel speaking, with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there, and then I looked, and behold, a form that had the appearance of a man, below what appeared to be his waist was fire, and above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness and like gleaming metal. He put out the form of a hand, and he took me by the lock of my head, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven, and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the valley." Then he said to me, Son of man, lift up your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted up my eyes toward the north, and behold, north of the altar gate in the entrance was this image of jealousy. 
And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they're doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here to drive me far from my sanctuary? But you'll see still even greater abominations. And he brought me to the entrance of the court. When I looked, behold, there was a hole in the wall. And he said to me, Son of man, dig in the wall. So I dug in the wall, and behold, there was an entrance. And he said to me, go in and see the vile abominations that they are committing here. So I went in and saw, and there engraved on the wall, by the way, this is in the temple, all around was every form of creeping things and loathsome beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel with Jezaniah, the son of Shaphan, standing among them. Each had his censer in his hand, and the smoke of the cloud of incense went up. And then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in his room of pictures? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. He also said to me, You will see still greater abominations that they commit. And then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. By the way, another name that she had, this lady Semiramis that started there, this false idol worship there in Babylon, Nimrod's wife, was queen of heaven. Go with me real quick to Jeremiah chapter 45, I think it is. I'm going on memory here, but I think I'm right. Go to Jeremiah 45. I was close. It's 44. Go to Jeremiah 44. You see the heading on chapter 44 of Jeremiah, the judgment for idolatry. And look at verse uh, uh, 15. Then all the men who knew that their wives had made offerings to other gods, and all the women who stood by a great assembly, all the people who lived in Pathras and the land of Egypt, answered Jeremiah, As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you, but we will do everything that we have vowed. We make offerings to the queen of heaven. By the way, that's Semiramis. And pour out drink offerings to her, as we did, both we and our fathers. Jump over to verse 18. But since we left off making offerings to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, we've lacked everything and have been consumed by sword and famine. And the women said, when we made offerings to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, was it without our, without our husband's approval that we made the cakes for her, for her, bearing her image, and poured out drink offerings to her? You could just go on. If you jump down, you'll see, again, they go down in verse 25. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you and your wives have declared with your own mouths and fulfilled it with your hands. saying, We will surely perform our vows that we have made to make offering to the Queen of Heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. Then confirm your vows and you perform your vows. Therefore hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be invoked by the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying saying as the Lord God lives. So here the idolatry had had gotten to the nation of Israel to the point that they were weeping for Tammuz. They were worshiping the Queen of Heaven. Folks, you do understand the Bible is very, very clear. There is one mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus. The Bible is very, very clear about that. And we've got to be careful of anything that makes us put our faith or our trust in anything besides him, because he wants to be first. Sin started in the Garden of Eden, but organized idolatry began in Babel. And God, if you remember, I took you there before, and I want to remind you of it. Go to Zechariah chapter 5. Zechariah chapter 5, starting in verse 5, God actually says that in the last days, wickedness will all be centered in Babylon. Zechariah chapter 5, starting in verse 5. 
Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, lift up your eyes and see what this is that is going out. And I said, what is it? He said, this is the basket that's going out. And he said, this is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. And then I lifted my eyes and I saw and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings, and they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they taking the basket? He said to me, to the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. Can't get any more clear than that, folks. The iniquity of all the land and wickedness is going to be at a certain time, when it's prepared, moved to the land of Shinar, which we now know as Babylon. And that's where the headquarters of the Antichrist kingdom is going to be in the last days. That's why we saw in the, in the bold judgments that we looked at last week that, the, that God pours out one of the bowls on the kingdom of the beast and it sends Babylon and his whole kingdom into darkness. And so, folks, what I just want you to understand is that during the tribulation period, there's going to be a one worldwide unifying religion that all the kings of the earth will approve of, and it'll be centered in Babylon. Now, it's only going to be for the first half of the tribulation period that the world all comes together and they all agree on a one world religion. I don't know if you all know this or not, but there's been a movement for years to try to get all the religions together. You ever seen the bumper stickers coexist? Actually, and, and please don't hear me wrong, because I'm going to say a few things to you tonight that I'm not bashing the Roman Catholic Church, because I believe there are believers in the Roman Catholic Church. But the Roman Catholic Church, unfortunately, in their leadership has been working toward unifying all the faiths, Muslim, everything included. There's this movement that's been out there for years of saying the Christians and the Jews and the Muslims are the reason why we have all these wars on the earth. But the Muslims and the Christians and the Jews all claim to come from Abraham. So since we have a common father, we should all get together. And I believe the Bible shows that it's going to happen, that there's going to be a one world religion. And it's going to be, as you saw in Revelation, and go back to chapter 17, this woman, this prostitute, this uh, idolatry, this false religion that's going to be in the last days during the tribulation period, it's riding the beast. It gets its authority and permission. It's riding the beast. But what's going to happen to this woman? We saw at the end of chapter 17. Look closely. Look at verse 16. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. If you remember from our earlier part of our study of Revelation, at the midpoint of the tribulation, the beast, the Antichrist, is going to do what at the midpoint? He's going to step into the temple, declare himself to be God, and what? Everybody has to worship him. They're going to be the false prophet. Remember, we've already seen that in the image of the beast, and it's going to come to life and speak, and it's going to do miracles, and everybody has to take the mark of the beast or else they can't buy or sell. At the midpoint of the tribulation, this... Antichrist is going to, after allowing this one world religion, turn on it. But I want you to see that chapter 17 is dealing with the destruction of the city of Babylon because of her religious idolatry. Chapter 18 is going to be just dealing with the future destruction of the city of Babylon because of its commercial or material idolatry. All right. So go to Revelation chapter 17. Look at verse 5 and verse 18. Revelation 17, verse 5, and Revelation 17, verse 18. Verse 5 says, and, and on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. 
In verse 18, and the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So I want you to understand that this, even though it seems a little confusing, if you let the Holy Scripture speak, you'll see that this is a prophecy about the future destruction of the city of Babylon, but because of the religious idolatry that started there. And, well, we'll get into a little bit more detail about that as we keep reading. We've been introduced to this beast already. The beast has how many heads? Seven heads, and how many horns? Ten. We've already been introduced to this beast. We've seen this over and over when we did our study of chapter 13 and so on. This beast is the Antichrist in his kingdom. But look closely. It says the seven heads of the beast refer to the seven kings that rule over the face of the earth. Now, I'm going to come back to the mountains or hills that the woman sits, uh, but we'll deal with that in just a second because that's something that's been talked about a lot and unfortunately incorrectly, and I'll clarify that in a little bit. But it says, the seven heads of the beast refer to seven kings that rule over the face of the earth. Five have fallen, one is, and one is still to come. And then there's going to be an eighth that comes from the seven. The five that have fallen are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. At the time of John's writing, there had been five world kingdoms already. Egypt started off being the first, you know, and the pharaohs and all that stuff. Then there was Assyria, then came Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, then there came the Medo-Persians, and they came in and wiped out Babylon and took over, and then Greece came over and took, remember Alexander the Great and all his stuff, and then the Romans. And at the time of John writing, the one that is, is Rome. Then there's a seventh that's to come, and we don't know who it is yet or what it will be, we just know this much, it's going to be made up of ten kingdoms that will all come together to give their authority to one leader who's going to rule over the globe. But anybody want to take a guess on where this one world kingdom in the last days is going to be centered? Babylon. The Bible's very, very clear. And actually, if you look back at the history of the world, Babylon has been included in, or been almost the main headquarters of all of those world kingdoms. They covered that area. That's the area of the globe that they governed. And the Bible is very clear that in the last days, Babylon will be the center of things. And we're going to see this in more in detail as we get into it tonight. But let me just say this to you, because a lot of people have been saying, well, Jim, if it's Babylon, well, Babylon, the prophecy said Babylon was to be, to be destroyed, never to be built again. And well, I'm going to show you a little bit of that tonight. God actually did judge Babylon already at one time, and he brought the Medes and the Persians, just like he said that what he, did he, he would let me ask you, when the Medes and Persians came and judged Babylon, did they leave it never to be inhabited again? What'd they do? They inhabited it. So there must be a future destruction of Babylon that hasn't been fulfilled yet because of the many prophecies that says, says that it is never to be inhabited ever again. On top of that, you got to keep in mind that because of the fact that we don't see Babylon as any big deal right now. We think, well, it can't be. Well, let me say two things to you along that line. One is this. For too long, we have thought that the rapture was going to happen, and then the tribulation began. We've all seen the charts, haven't you? Seen the prophecy charts? And you have all the different dispensations. And then you got rapture, and the tribulation begins right after the rapture. Folks, nowhere in the Bible does it say that the rapture and then the tribulation begins right away. The rapture is something that God's going to do when he chooses before the tribulation and take us out. But what starts the tribulation period? Is it the rapture? What starts the tribulation period? 
the confirming of the covenant with the many for seven years. When this individual rides out on the scene. Remember, the rapture of the church happens before the opening of the seals. Before the false Christ comes and shows up on the scene and makes the peace treaty. Remember, he rides on a white horse and he doesn't have any weapons. And he's able to conquer without any weapons with flattery. And he's actually going to be seeming to be a good guy. Because because of the rapture and whatever else is going to be going on in the globe at that time, there's going to be a time of chaos on the globe. Because of that, there's going to be a, a desire even more for everybody to come together. So I want you to understand there could be a time period between the rapture of the church and the tribulation of maybe 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. We don't know. But I also want you to know something else, and you can Google this and find this out. Babylon is being rebuilt right now in a rapid, rapid succession. And not only is it being done so, it's becoming unbelievable. Back when Saddam Hussein was in power, he actually started to rebuild Babylon. He thought he was going to be the reincarnation of Nebuchadnezzar himself. But when we got him out of there, because of him being the kind of a nasty guy he was, all the people that were afraid of that area now are no longer afraid of that area. And billions, and I say billions, and I'm talking small numbers compared to what really is going on, billions of oil dollars have now all gone into that area, and they are rebuilding Babylon rapidly. It's becoming one of the major tourist destinations for people all over the globe. Two of the seven wonders of the world were in Babylon. And it's being rebuilt. And if you do a little research, the United States is actually putting an embassy there in Iraq, in that area. And it's one of the most amazingly ostentatious and huge and spectacular embassies. It's the most amazing one we've ever built. And guess where they're putting it? Right there. In that part of the globe that the Bible says that everything's going to be centered. And as you're going to see later on tonight, as we keep reading, the prophecies in the Bible have said all along that Babylon in the very last days will become the headquarters for everything on the globe. For, that's why for years, we've tried, people who have tried to read chapter 17, and especially chapter 18, have tried to make it America. You ever heard people think, well, maybe that's America. I did for years. But then I started to realize, get over yourself, Jim. I'm trying to read America into all the prophecies. We're actually not mentioned. And on top of that, all along, whenever God gave, mentioned the city, that's what it was. When the prophecy said Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, where was he born? Bethlehem. When the prophecy said he'd come out of Egypt, where did he come out of? Egypt. When the prophecy says it's Babylon, over and over and over, it's going to be Babylon. That's not America, folks. It's Babylon. And it should not surprise us that if that's where it all started and, the, and Satan began to do his work, that, that God would not allow it to all go back there so that he could judge it. Go for it. What is it called now and what government is overseeing it right now? I'll be honest with you. I don't know what government is overseeing it. It's in Iraq. It's in the, Baghdad is one of the major cities in the area. But it's actually called Babylon. It's actually called Babylon. And so if you just do a little bit of research, you can see. Uh, but what, because of the chaos that's going on right now on the globe, I, I can't promise you which government's in charge. Iraq is in charge per se, but there's all these different infighting between the Sunnis and the Shiites and, 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 and that kind of, you see what I'm saying? Because of that, it's all changing. And, and, and let me just, this is free. The Tuesday night group didn't get this, but we got talking about it. And, and, and I just want to just tell you, Folks, there's so much more still going to happen if we're faithful to our scriptures, even before all this that we're looking at. 
Because if you can look at Isaiah chapter 17 and Psalm 83, you'll see that there's a future destruction of Syria, of Damascus, that the Bible talks about, which would be very, very clear has not happened yet. It's obvious from what the prophecy says. And when you do a study of the Battle of Armageddon and the Gog and Magog battle that I'm going to show you later on are the two of the same thing. The, the Gog and Magog and the Battle of Armageddon come together to be the same thing. When Ezekiel 38 and 39 happens and the king of the north comes down with all those other nations, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, all the nations right there on the border of Israel that are their enemies aren't mentioned. But there's prophecy in Isaiah 17 and Psalm 83 that says that they'll be destroyed there's a strong chance that that battle will happen prior to the end of the tribulation battle. And with all that's going on right now in Syria, some of you may know this if you've been following, some of you may not. Saudi Arabia and Turkey are amassing major, major amounts of their military weaponry and their armies right on the border of Syria because they want to go get Russia and Assad out of there. They're already preparing in the north part of Syria a safe zone for Civilians to be able to run to. Folks, something's going to go down in Syria in the near future. I'm not saying it's going to be the fulfillment of Isaiah 17, but let's just say hypothetically that Syria, in the midst of the chaos, decides, well, while all this chaos is going on, let's lob a couple of missiles into Israel. Israel could decide to fight back with some of the big guns that they have. And the Bible actually talks about that what's going to happen in Syria is that something is going to happen on a, it looks like a nuclear state scale, that no one will be able to even live in that area for a long time. I'm just saying, know what the prophecy says, put it in your heart, and be ready for the fact that these things are going to happen. You remember, these things must take place. All right? Now... The beast itself, as we've already talked about, is the Antichrist and his kingdom, which will be, an, and then it'll be an eighth kingdom that has the ten kings all give their power to. There's going to be this one world government made up of ten kings, but then, as we've already seen, and we're not going to go into it anymore, this one ruler is going to come up from among them, and he's going to displace three of them, and the rest of them are all going to give their authority to him, and the Antichrist is going to be the ultimate authority for the eighth, being the eighth. But look at Revelation chapter 17, verses 9 through 14. Revelation 17, starting in verse 9. It says, This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. All right? And let me, let me keep reading, and then we'll come back to that, that part of the verse. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it's an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings that, who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, a short period of time, together with the beast. They are, these are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast, and they will make war on who? On the Lamb. Remember how we looked last week at, at the Battle of Armageddon? Even though all those nations are coming and it looks like they're coming against Israel, they're really not coming against Israel. Satan is gathering them all to fight against Jesus because Satan knows at this point with what all's going on, because he doesn't know the future, but he can read the Bible. He knows by that point that Jesus is coming back and he's gathering them all to fight against Jesus. And of course, then Jesus is going to, dis to destroy them. Some have tried to say that since the seven heads also refer to seven mountains on which the woman sits, that this means Rome. You ever heard that one? Because Rome's a city on seven hills. Well, let me say a couple of things to you. First of all, Rome has been called a city on seven hills for years. But if you do a little research, you find out it's not a city on seven hills. It actually sits on nine. It sits on nine hills. And actually, 
there are 60 cities in the, on the globe that sit on seven hills. I think this mountains just refers to kingdoms tied to the seven kings. And so I think that's all it is. It's just referring to the seven different kingdoms that have existed and will. Yes, ma'am. Well, at this point, the mountains are level. Not quite. You remember, the destruct- it's all going to happen at the same time. Because what we're seeing now is kind of like Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 1, we see the creation of everything, and they see the creation of man. But in chapter 2, we go back and see the specific detail of the creation of Adam and Eve, right? This is what's happening in chapter 17 and 18. At the end of the tribulation period, in the last bowls that are being poured out, I'm about to read that to you again to remind you of what we looked at, we see the final destruction of Babylon and all that. All chapter 17 and 18 are doing is like chapter 2 of Genesis, going back and giving more specific detail as to what's going to happen during the end in this battle. All right? Now, look again at um, Revelation chapter 17. Look at verse 6. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. All right? This one world religion will kill all people who hold to Christianity and Jesus as being the only way to be saved. Now, again, the church is already gone, but there are going to be many that come to faith. 144,000 witnesses have been preaching all over the globe, and we see that there are many that come to faith. But because that there's going to be this one world religion, Christians on the globe at that time will be killed for their faith. We see in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me just say, I'm tired of hearing Christians or those who claim to be Christians around the globe in different churches, especially in America, say, well, I believe Jesus is the only way for me. But there might be other ways for people to get to God. And how can you even say that when Jesus himself said he was the only way? On top of that, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. It's through Jesus alone. And so even though there will be a one world religion, there will be Christians on the globe at this time who stand against it, but they will be killed for their faith. That's why we see this prostitute, this one world religion, killing them. And we also saw in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, we've already seen this before, that those who were beheaded for their faith will come to life at the end of the tribulation period and rule and reign with Jesus. Now, I'm going to do something that I don't usually do, but I think I have enough biblical backing to at least speculate. Who right now is beheading people because of their faith? Muslims. There's a strong chance, listen closely to me, there is a strong chance that the one world religion will be Islam. With what's going on, from my understanding of the scriptures, Actually, when it talks about how there's going to be this religion that you had never seen or your fathers had never seen before, Muhammad wasn't even born until almost 600 years after the church had even begun. And Muhammad actually was raised by his grandparents, and his grandparents were nomadic traders, and he got tired of hearing about all these different religions, and he decided to make his own. But it's, his, it's actually a mixture of a little bit of Judaism, a little bit of weird Christianity, a little bit of this, and the moon god, and all this kind of thing. And Muhammad made up a, put it all together, and he made this one religion. On top of that, let me read to you how I've written it. Look at how the beast or this Antichrist is described in verse, chapter 17, verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. Look down again at verse 11. 
As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it goes to destruction. Has anybody caught that yet? How is Jesus described all the time, except for the very end of the tribulation period, when he's already beginning to rule and reign? The one who was and is and is to come. Here the Antichrist is described twice as one who was, is not, which is interesting, and then will show up on the scene. He'll come out of the bottomless pit, but he'll come up on the scene and then he'll go to destruction. Now, a lot of prophecy people say that this is pointing to the Antichrist being killed at some point and possibly rising from the dead to kind of mimic the resurrection of Jesus as well. And I got no problem with that because I, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if he does that because we've already seen the Bible talks about him having a mortal wound that had been healed and this kind of a thing. But I think there's more to it than that. Interestingly enough, the Muslims teach that there is coming a 12th imam to rule the world. And some believe this to be a previous Muslim ruler who used to live on the earth, but has disappeared for a long period of time. And then he's going to come back onto the scene at the time of world chaos. That's why the leader of Iran has been trying to create chaos on the globe because of his, his religious beliefs of eschatology of the Muslim faith, is that there's going to be a time of chaos on the world, on the globe. And because of that, during this time, this 12th imam is going to come back. He's an individual who actually used to be one of their leaders, and he has disappeared, but he, at a certain time is going to come back. Does that sound a little interesting? Now, I don't usually put any stock in any prophecies of other people that aren't in the Bible. But the reason why I bring this out to you is, is that the Muslim teaching of the last days is word for word what the Bible says the Antichrist is going to be. He was. He isn't now. He's going to come from the abyss. That means he's been in torment in Hades. He'll be allowed out, come on the scene for a time, and from there, go straight to the lake of fire, as you'll see later on in, Gen in Revelation chapter 20. Yes, sir. What's interesting about that is, right after that, Ishtar, which is Jesus, will be resurrected. Yeah, mm -hmm. he, he won't be resurrected, but he'll appear on the scene. Yeah. He's already resurrected. He's alive forevermore. But yes, but yes, that's the whole thing. And, and so I want you to understand, folks, is that I'm not saying that the one world religion will be Islam. But with what's happening right now with the chaos on the globe and the migration of all these Muslims all over the globe and what's happening, the church were gone. And the chaos erupts on the globe. It lines up with what the scripture is teaching. And people will be headed who have faith in Jesus Christ during that time period. Yes, sir. John Hagee teaches that? Well then I'm in pretty good company. I like John Hagee. I like John Hagee's stuff a lot. But again, I'm getting this from the scriptures. And I, 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 there's way more to it, but I don't want to take the time to bore you with it. But let me just tell you, if you go back and look at all the Old Testament prophecies that are talking about the last days when God's bringing judgments on nations, he says, woe to you, so-and-so, woe to you, so-and-so. And it lists all these different nations. They're all Muslim nations. It's happening in our midst. We're seeing the stage get set. I'm going to encourage you, hopefully, and we'll talk a little bit about the election to come at the end of tonight's message, but we've got to move faster. All right? Go to Revelation chapter 18. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 24. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. 
And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven." And God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. And she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in one single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who commit committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning, and they will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, and horses, and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which you lo your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all, all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like that great city? And they threw dust on their heads and they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints, and of all who have been slain on the earth. So here we see the destruction of prophecy of the destruction of Babylon in future still, because of its commercial idolatry. But if you look closely, do you notice something about how chapter 18 is written? Does it look different in how it's laid out on your Bibles? Because if, if most of your Bibles are done the way they should be, you see how on mine it's just straight text. But in chapter 18 it looks like it's poetry. Anybody have any idea why? Chapter 18 is just simply quoting from the Old Testament. Each of these places that are marked out like this that look like poetry, all they are is quotes from the Old Testament repeated here. 
All John's doing is under the leadership of the Spirit is reminding that God had been saying about, prophesying about this all along. I'm going to show you a few in just a second. We're not going to get into all of them. That's why I got a piece of paper for you to get later on as you leave. But let me also point out to you that go to chapter 18, verse um, 17. It says, For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste, and all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. And for years, people have said, aha, that proves that it can't be Babylon and it must be something else because Babylon doesn't sit on a port. How could the shipmasters watch the burning unless it was a city on the port? And if you actually do a little research, you'll find that Babylon is 300 miles from the nearest port. So prophecy people have said, aha, can't be Babylon. Read your Bibles. How many of the shipmasters... Verse 17, all of them. And they're watching where? From far off. Do you catch it? All along the prophecy has not been saying that they had to, for years because we didn't understand about global satellites and all this ability to see everything, we just assumed back when they first started to try to understand this stuff that they had to be in the boat watching it from the shore. But it actually all along had said all of them. They all couldn't fit on a shore. All of them over the whole globe are watching from afar. They're just watching this on TV or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a global port city. It's still Babylon. And a lot of the things that people have said over the years is it can't be Babylon because it would be never inhabited again. Well, it has been inhabited again and it's being inhabited again. That prophecy hasn't happened yet. It will be Babylon and it doesn't have to be on a, on a shore for people to watch it. It can be anywhere for them to watch it. Now, what I want to do is just kind of show you in the time that we have left, praise the Lord, I think we're going to be able to do it, some of the Old Testament prophecies that talked about this. Go to Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13, verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> Those of you that have headings in your Bibles, what does it say? Judah of Babylon. Says the oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw on a bare hill, raise a signal, cry aloud to them, wave the hand for them to enter in the gates of the nobles. I myself have commanded my consecrated ones and have summoned my mighty men to execute my anger, my proudly exulting ones. In other words, God says, I'm going to send my angels to do this. The sound of tumult is on the mountains as of a great multitude, the sound of an uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathering together. This is the battle of Armageddon, folks. Babylon will be destroyed at the same time Jesus comes back and defeats his enemies at the Battle of Armageddon. He will destroy Babylon at the exact same time. The, mountains, the tumults on the mountains of a great multitude, the sound of uproar of kingdoms of nations gathering together. The Lord of hosts is mustering a host for battle. They come from a distant land from the ends of the heavens, the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Wail for the day of the Lord is near as destruction from the Almighty it will come. Therefore all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed, pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another, their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not give their light. Doesn't that sound familiar? We've already read about that. That's during the last trumpet and the seven bowls. 
The sun will be dark at its rising. The moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold. What did Jesus say? If those days hadn't been cut short, nobody would live. And, and uh, I'll make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Folks, this future destruction of Babylon that's being prophesied here is tied to the battle of Armageddon and the return of Jesus Christ and all the prophecies about what's going to happen at the very end. Now, in verses 14 through 18, you see a prophecy about the coming destruction by the Medes and the Persians. But we're going to jump to verse 19. In the Babylon, the glory of kingdoms and the splendor of the pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. And it will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherds will make their flocks lie down there. But wild animals will lie down there. And their houses will be full of howling creatures. Their ostriches will dwell. And their wild goats will dance. Hyenas will cry in its towers and jackals in the pleasant palaces. Its time is close at hand and its days will not be prolonged. Go to chapter 14. Look at verses 22 and 23. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts, and will cut off from Babylon name and remnant, descendants and posterity, declares the Lord. And I will make it a possession of the hedgehog and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, declares the Lord of hosts. So what I want to do is in the time that we have left is I want to just take you back to Revelation 18 to a couple of places and show you the parallel in other parts of the Bible. Now, you don't have to write these down. This will be on your piece of paper, along with a bunch of other things as well. But compare with me Revelation 18, chapter 4 through 6, uh, chapter 18, verses 4 through 6, with Jeremiah 51, starting in verse four, uh, 45. All right? Revelation 18, look at verses 4 through 6. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back, for she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. So here in Revelation 18, 4, we see, Come out of her, my people. Go to Jeremiah 51. And look at verses 45 and following. I probably won't read the whole section because of time. Jeremiah 51 starting in verse 45. Go out of the midst of her, my people. Let everyone save his life from the fierce anger of the Lord. Let not your heart faint and not be fearful at the report heard in the land when a report comes in one year and after a report in another year and violence is in the land and ruler is against ruler. Behold, the days are coming when I will punish, punish the images of Babylon. Her whole land shall be put to shame and all her slain shall fall in the midst of her. Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing for joy over Babylon, for the destroyer shall come against them out of the north, declares the Lord. Babylon must fall for the slain of Israel, just as for Babylon have fallen the slain of the earth. Jump down to uh, um, verse uh, 62, uh, 62. Actually, verse 61. Jeremiah said to Sariah, When you come to Babylon, see that you read all these words, and say, O Lord, you have said concerning this place that you will cut it off so that nothing will, shall dwell in it, neither man nor beast, and it shall be desolate. For how long? 
forever. When you finish reading this book, Jeremiah was told, tie a stone to it and cast it into the midst of the Euphrates and, the, and say, thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster that I'm bringing upon her and they shall become exhausted. Go back to Revelation 18. Look at verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be no more. Look at Revelation 18. Look at verses 7 and 8. And as she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. That's good enough. Jump with me to Isaiah 47 and see if we don't see something familiar that sounds just like that. She's, uh, Babylon says, I sit as queen. I am not a widow. I won't see mourning. Isaiah 47, look at verses 7 through 9. You said, I shall be a mistress forever so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Now, therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is none, no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment. In one day, the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. Folks, all the way through, the Bible has said that God is to be the only one to be worshipped. All the way through Scripture, the Bible has also said, Jesus himself taught us, don't lay up treasure on this earth, but lay up treasure in heaven. And because of the fact that religious idolatry started in Babylon, commercialism and materialism started in Babylon, and luxurious living and building a name for ourselves and amassing all this stuff on the earth, God is going to allow one last kingdom on the earth. He's going to take his people out. He's going to begin that one last seven-year period prophesied to purify Israel and to judge the nations. And he's going to begin to open the seals and a white horse is going to come and there's going to be a rider on it with no weapons. And he's going to come on the scene and with guile and flattery, he's going to kind of gather everything together and he's going to be given a little authority. And then, as you see, there's going to be time of, as we saw with the opening of the seals, where their peace has been removed from the earth. And it's going to be hard for people to live because it's going to be famines and different things like that going on. But then at the midpoint, the Antichrist is going to step on the scene and declare himself to be God. And things are going to get really, really bad on the earth. And by the end of the tribulation period, the Antichrist will have gathered all the nations and the kings to come fight against Jesus because Satan knows he's coming back. And when we come back in three weeks, not next week, not the week after that, but when we come back in three weeks, I cannot wait to get to Revelation 19. I've been waiting for that because that is the time when Jesus actually shows up on the scene. He's begun to reign at this point, we've already talked about. But he's going to show up on the scene, and I can't wait to show you it as we really begin to look at the, what's going to happen when he comes back, what, what happens during the Battle of Armageddon. When we parallel the Gog and Magog battle, and I'll show you that it's the same thing as the Battle of Armageddon. We're going to look at the fact that the Millennial Kingdom is going to be set up and what it's going to be like and all that. But as we close tonight, let me just say this to you. People have been saying to me, Jim, how are you going to vote? Well, let me answer that question. I don't know. I know who I'm not going to vote for. There's a lot of them. Any of those who don't line up with Scripture. I don't stand for truth. But I'm also at the same time going to look you in the eye and say, we have a responsibility and a privilege, and we're supposed to be faithful to be, use what we've been given to be a part of this process. Do not tear each other up in the process. You may find brothers and sisters who are voting for someone that you can't believe they're even considering that jerk. You'll be the jerk if you start treating them badly because we have to trust that the Lord is able to lead his children. 
And at the same time, I'm not looking for America to become great again. The Bible says that we're pretty much not on the scene. And to be honest with you, folks, I'm not living for this world. I'm living for the kingdom that's to come. And one day, soon, he will come and gather us to be with him and reward us. And then when we come back with him, we'll have responsibilities on this earth. And that's the kingdom that never ends. That's the kingdom that we want to see rebuilt. So I don't want you to vote according to how we can make America great. I want you to vote according to how God is telling you to vote. Because actually in Daniel chapter 2, the scripture says that he chooses who's in power and who's not in power. And you know what? We may hate who the person is that's leading right now. And we may even hate worse the one that comes next. But if we have our eyes on God, we're going to be fine because he's taking care of his people. And it's time that Christians stop getting so sucked into the politics that we act like those who have no hope. Oh, I sure hope this doesn't happen. Oh, I sure hope that person doesn't win. Oh, America's just falling to pot and all this kind of stuff. And we sound like the rest of the world. The Bible says people are supposed to be asking us at this time to give reason for the hope that lies within us. When people start whining about what's going on. I just tell people this is one of the most exciting and interesting election seasons I've ever seen. This is almost like a circus. I like the circus. We got the clowns. We got all sorts of stuff going on. We got the jugglers and the magicians. It's all crazy. But you know what? I'm not worried about it. Because God has promised that those who are in Christ, he's going to take care of. And so what are we worried about? And if we've been studying Revelation, we see it all come on the scene. Our next president might make us one of the ten kingdoms. They may. Our next president might be a jerk of such that nations hate us so bad they send all their weapons against us. I don't know how it's going to go. But I can tell you this much. God already knows. And he says, I got you. So folks, take a deep breath. Stop living like those who have no hope. I'm sorry? Enjoy the show. Yep. Hey, I love you all. We'll see you in three weeks. Take care.